Hi, it's Elmira. Last week, we shifted our focus away from the student protesters that occupied Tiananmen Square in 1989 and focused on the legitimacy of the Chinese Communist Party. Our guest, Leita Hong Thincher, discussed the evolving feminist movement in China and how women could be the greatest threat to continued rule by the party. For our outtake this week, we look into one program that influenced women and families in China for nearly two generations, the one-child policy. What was interesting in your book when you talk about this is how you say the Communist Party is promoting gender norms. And one of the things that they're promoting is now, you know, women can have more children. So in 2015, they reversed the one-child policy. At the end of 2015, they announced that. And you talk about how, you know, this may seem like it's very progressive, but it's just the very opposite. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. Well, certainly there's no question that, you know, under this so-called one-child policy that was in force for over 35 years, there were just so many widely documented human rights abuses where women were forced to have abortions, you know, women were uh, forced to insert IUDs en masse, for example. Um, And there's so much that has been written about this draconian population planning, enforcement, and and the control of women's bodies and reproduction. So there were people who celebrated the fact that at the beginning of 2016, the Chinese government adopted a new official two-child policy. Uh, But in fact, first of all, you know, it's come far too late because as a result of this so-called one-child policy, the birth rates have really plummeted. And now births continue to keep falling dramatically, even in the last couple of years, um, in spite of this changing of the population planning policy. But there is a new real threat to women, to all women in China, coming under this uh, new two-child policy um, because the government is very strongly targeting educated Han Chinese women in particular and trying to push them into having two babies before they turn 30. And so there's this aggressive new propaganda that's a complete turnaround from the propaganda of the last 35 plus years where you see things like the People's Daily, which is the mouthpiece of the Chinese government, writing these long articles urging young women still in college to get married and have two children while they're still studying, which is just absurd. And young women are not falling for that propaganda by and large today. It, it also creates a lot of new gender discrimination in hiring um, and promotion in the workforce, but particularly in hiring practices, because a lot of employers routinely ask women who are interviewing for jobs, are you married? Have you had your first child? When are you having your second child? A lot of employers just don't want to hire women anymore, and there's very blatant gender discrimination in hiring and promotion. And so I fear that these kinds of policies 
um, treating women as reproductive tools of the state, that these kinds of policies may become more coercive in the future. Uh, up until now, just for the last couple of years, we've, it's largely been an increase in very aggressive propaganda, trying to get you know, Han Chinese women to have more babies. But I, I need to stress as well that in, in regions like Xinjiang, um, which is has a sizable Uyghur Muslim minority, the policies regarding births are completely different. So the government is has for years been trying to get Uyghur women to have fewer babies and sees high birth rates in Xinjiang as a threat to social stability. And then, of course, recently we've seen that the Chinese government has been interning Uyghurs en masse. Um, and so it, it's very much all about the government trying to sculpt the population to engineer the right kind of population. But the pro-natalism, those policies and propaganda are very much targeted at particularly educated Han Chinese women. Is part of that also looking at China in the future economically, where if you have a drop in the birth rate, you're obviously then going to have a drop in the future labor force. And if you also have an aging population, which we've seen as a big problem in Japan, there becomes a, a, a nationwide problem on how do you actually take care of all of these older people. Yes. Well, I mean, all of these demographic trends are completely intertwined. And it's not even a problem for the future. It is a problem already. It's become a severe problem with the aging of the population in China. And the workforce is already shrinking, along with falling births. It's quite striking to compare the different policies in China with neighboring countries like Japan and South Korea as well. They're struggling with falling birth rates and an aging population. They also have a lot of problems with gender inequality, entrenched traditional gender norms. But the governments of Japan and South Korea are handling the problem in very different ways from, from China. So in Japan, for example, the Japanese prime minister a few years ago announced a policy called he called womenomics, um, where uh, he announced some measures to try to boost the number of working women, women participating in the workforce. And actually, they, I mean, they, they still have a lot of problems in Japan, to be sure. But the female labor force participation has actually increased somewhat in Japan. And South Korea as well has recently acknowledged that it has to tackle entrenched gender inequality if it wants to increase women's participation in the workforce and, you know, uh, try to combat gender discrimination. You do not see that language anywhere in China. So the Chinese government is doing the reverse. The, the Chinese government sees the solution to these demographic problems as let's push, you know, these educated women to return to the home and to take care of the households, to be dutiful wives 
and mothers and baby breeders. So there's almost no mention in propaganda in China today of the importance of working women to developing China's economy, which then relates to the question of, well, then how central is um, achieving rapid, rapid economic growth to the survival of the Communist Party? And, and I believe that the fundamental goal, when, when you uh, come down to what is the most important thing for these male leaders of the Communist Party, fundamentally their primary concern is to stay in power. So it is uh, more important for them to maintain Communist Party supremacy, um, even if China's economic growth rate falls by a few points. Um, and, and that I think that explains why there's n no effort to promote working women's participation in China China's economy. That was Leita Hong Fincher, a scholar on feminism in China and the author of Betraying Big Brother, The Feminist Awakening in China. Thanks for listening. Tune in for our next episode of Opinion Has It, out in one week's time. <laughs>